Welcome to another edition of the Haber Show podcast. That's two this week. It's like a record. When the NBA is this crazy, we got to double it up. So uh, earlier this week, we had Henry Abbott on the podcast. Go check that out if you haven't listened to it already. We talk about the Lakers. We go in deep on the NBA finals and all the injuries in today's NBA and whether 82 games make sense. Uh, And speaking of injuries, we're going to have Ryan Wusillo on the pod. He's one of the all-time great dudes in the NBA media. He now is hosting a podcast with SVP. He's doing podcasts every week with Bill Simmons over at The Ringer. He is one of the best in the game. Uh, He knows hoops inside and out. He does all his homework. I actually, back in the day, like 2009, when I was starting to get into the NBA, I would listen to his podcast just to like you know, get a sense of what the NBA is about. Cause I was a baseball dude coming at, coming out of college. I was a baseball guy, big saber metrics, wanted to be Theo Epstein uh, in Theo. We trust shout out to the Boston Red Sox wanted to be, you know, in, in the next money ball. And of course the long line in baseball, I was never going to get there. And so I made the switch to uh, NBA and I realized that there weren't all that many smart people in the NBA space. John Hollinger was one of them and Mark Stein was another. And, you know who was another? Ryan Wasillo. His podcasts back in the day were so good. And I remember his voice. I was like, how is this guy this knowledgeable and has this voice? That's a ridiculous skill. So really excited to have him on the Haber Show podcast. We're taping this at like 2.30 in the morning after the draft where we saw 31 of the final 41 picks get traded. It was a zany night in the NBA. We have to figure out how to get these hats right and make sure that these guys are wearing the right hat. Forget the hair. The hair's great. I love that stuff. But um, Ryan Russillo, really smart NBA head. Can't wait for you guys to listen to this episode. Let's get to it on the Haber Show pod. All right. New episode of the Haber Show podcast. Uh, the NBA draft is done. The NBA finals is done. Uh, the AD trade is done. And we have Ryan Russillo here to discuss all of it. I don't really know what to make of what happened tonight. I don't know if you do either. Uh, my my brain is fried from the finals and from the AD trade, and yet I don't know if tonight's NBA draft clarified anything with regard to next season. You were just on SVP with a comment about Kawhi and how trying to get any sort of sense of what Kawhi Leonard's going to do this summer is a fool's errand. Like there's, there's really not much to know there, but I f- kind of feel like Ryan, there's not much to know, or there's not much certainty in the NBA period. No, I mean, if we, if we start with the draft, I think the best thing we can do is say, okay, a team like new Orleans, we know at least who's going to take the floor and what kind of young guys are going to try to build around, right? They wanted to get out of the fourth pick because they probably didn't want Garland to pair with Drew and Lonzo, although I like Garland a lot in this draft more than other teams did. So I could understand if they had done it, but it appeared they didn't want to be guard heavy or maybe they just didn't like Garland, right? So they moved back, they pick up a bunch of pieces, they get off of the Solomon Hill money, and you can see that Griffin in just a very short amount of time has a much better plan, it seems, than Del Demps had for a decade, Right. Um, and Zion certainly helps that plan. Atlanta moving up for Hunter and then adding another pick a little bit later and adding two wings in Hunter, who everybody loves defensively, but I'm yeah. still not sure about an offense. And, and Reddish, who, you know, did not have a great year at Duke based on the hype, but you go, okay, Herder, Collins, those two wings that are rookies and Trey. Like when you put the graphic of those five guys up, you kind of get excited because it, it feels new. It feels, oh my gosh, what if Herder, you know, what if Herder does even better and what if Reddish, you know, figures it out in the pro game? 
So that, and I think Cleveland just going ahead and putting Garland with Sexton. And again, I'm a Garland fan. He needs scoring. Sure, it'd be a small backcourt in a playoff series, but worry about getting the playoffs first. And then some of the things they did at the back end of the first. I think there are teams that were unproven non-playoff teams that took what it feels like a step in the right direction, but you know, it's, it's obviously not in the math that all of these young players are all going to work out, even though, you know, it gives you a lot of hope here in the end of June. Yeah. And I, I like Deandre Hunter for, for Atlanta, because I think they're going to need a lot more defense on that team. When you have a core of Jason, uh, John Collins, and then uh, Trey young, you're gonna have to clean up a lot of mistakes there defensively. And Deandre Hunter is not going to do all of it, but they clearly, if they want to be, you know, a playoff caliber team or, you know, ha- build a star core around those two offensive stars, I think they need as much defense as they can get. So DeAndre Hunter, I, I want to get into this with you because you watch a lot more college troops and you talk to a lot more scouts and GM types about the about the draft. I feel like we just underrate defense. Is that fair? Is that fair to say on, on, on draft night where a guy like Matisse Thibel can be the best defensive player or perimeter player in the NBA draft, and yet he falls to the back end of the first round? Like, why why are we so... Uh, down on defense where I feel like if you're the best or one of the best defenders in the draft, shouldn't you be a top 10 pick? I don't know about that. Like you just said, do we underrate these guys? Uh, there can be guys that hang around like Dybul's a four year guy, right? So yep. we're, we're real quick to write those guys off. But you know, as you know, the, the age thing is a real thing. Like when you're 22 or 23, it's usually something that means you're not going to be that good. And, you know, for everybody that goes, oh, all these GMs are stupid. I can't believe they keep taking these young, unproven guys. You're like, you really want, like, can you imagine how bad the draft would be if GMs took all of these established four-year players? <laughs> because <laughs> most, like, those guys flame out. They do. They flame out. And, you know, basketball actually is this, I think the cool thing about basketball is that you can kind of identify things um, that are raw and go, okay, well, this guy has a chance, even if it looks like he doesn't play the game that well. I know that that frustrates like a lot of the college people, but like Dybul's is a really good example here. Okay. So maybe he is all those things defensively. He was the leader in steals in Pac-12 history. He's got the size. They played a zone this year, but that's obviously with a change in the system after um, changing hit coaches. Yep. And what he did in the zone was, was really cool because his anticipation was amazing. His, his passing lane stuff. But he also, when he's played in another one where it was like, if he were in a zone for four years, I'd go, okay, yeah, he had a lot of steals, but do we really know he's his lockdown guy? But three and D gets thrown around so carelessly now, mm-hmm. where if you're just tall and kind of skinny and took a three, then I feel like, oh, you know, he's a three and D guy. He's a three and D guy. Is he? I mean, Thibault hit 30% of his threes this year. Now, his free throw percentage is good. Again, he went 40, like 37, 30. Looked like he lost his confidence. Maybe you can fix that. But then to add that to the equation of who the Sixers have, where you could argue Simmons is like the worst point guard to have with Embiid, and Embiid's the worst big man to have with Simmons, is dynamic. They both can be, and I love Embiid still. And then Zyra Smith, who's going to come back, you know, got to play a handful of games, can't really shoot. Simmons can't shoot. If Thibault can't figure the shooting out, you're like, okay, well, what are you doing? You guys are just going to not have spacing around the floor. So, you know, if we take it back to a guy like DeAndre Hunter, there are versions of him where I go, maybe he is going to be. I mean, he's big. He's really big. Mm-hmm. And he was incredible in the title game. And Virginia can be kind of hard sometimes to go, you know, what are these guys going to be in the NBA and an NBA offense? Does the UVA offense maybe even hold him back a little bit? And if that's the case, you know, is he going to be a guy that, you know, can he get any shots in his own? Can he create any of his own stuff? 
I don't know that he did that a lot at UVA, but he's so big, he's so versatile defensively, and maybe with the scoring they have, it's not going to matter. But I guess back to the original, the whole point of this thing is, is do we do we underrate these guys? I think we can overrate just the term three and D and keep yeah. trying to plug all these guys into that lane when it's not really accurate. Yeah, and I think uh, I think we always just look at you know like like talk about uh, Colin Sexton and Garland where the immediate comp is C.J. McCollum and Dame Lillard. Like pump the brakes, like come on, like we can't do that. We can't do put these labels on on these guys who are like 19 years old and just just gonna say all right, the comp is the best backcourt in the, backcourt in the NBA. We can't do that, right? Like that's that's unfair to these guys. But like our brains aren't good at coming up with like so so comps for for players. We just automatically go to like oh this is three and D Robert Covington, right? Like three and D mold of of Robert Covington for the for the Sixers. We're not really good at finding like a ton of comps that were kind of so so in the NBA. So I I hear that, and I think one of the things that you talked about the four year guys. When I did the research for my column this week about how the draft is, uh, we're, we might be getting worse at the draft just because there's a lot of high profile misses. And then you have a lot of guys at the back end of the draft who are doing really well. Like Fred Van Vliet was not drafted. Malcolm Brogdon was a four year guy at Virginia. Um, Draymond Green, we can go on and on about guys who kind of fell at Nikola Jokic, um, fell in the draft. It's really uncertain, and I want to get your take. Why do you think we don't seem to be getting better at the draft? We seem to be at least just like plateauing in terms of our ability to project. I read the piece, and I think that we have to have more years where this actually happens, okay? Because with the success for Giannis and Kawhi and the entire Toronto roster, where you're going, hey, there's, you know, there's no top picks, and look, they just won an NBA championship, that to me is still such an anomaly. Like if you go back decades, the teams that were winning were still winning with guys that were top picks. I'm talking like one, two, and three kind of stuff. So it would have to keep happening. And individually, I think I can explain like everybody you're talking about. Kawhi was an undersized four who we didn't know could shoot. And I tell the story all the time. It's one of my favorite combine stories because I've gone to it for like 10 years. He rolled out a rack of balls before the workouts even started. Walked right over to where all the GMs were in their courtside seats and just started firing up threes in front of everybody and making them. And people are like, this kid is actually doing like his own workout to show everybody right now that he can shoot. And, you know, it still wasn't enough for all of a sudden to jump to the top 10, but I could understand the path to like what he ended up being. And, you know, San Antonio didn't think he was going to be that good. Hell, San Antonio was going to trade Tony Parker for Valanciunas for the pick that was going to be Valanciunas. So therefore they weren't going to trade, they were going to trade Parker because they had George Hill. <laughs> you know, like <laughs> It's another one of those amazing basketball stories where if, they had done the Valanciunas trade, they wouldn't even have had Kawhi and Kawhi was a slow developing guy. And you know, some of these guys are just insane with the work ethic, but it's still rare to go middle of the first round. He might be the best player in the world. Like it doesn't happen. He's the most unlikely, maybe number one player that we've had at the top of this perch in forever. And with Giannis, when you watch the stuff from him um, in the league that he was playing in, I remember going through and doing all my draft prep, prep and watching him. And I go, I get the allure of this whole thing, but uh, these guys he plays against are terrible. And I talked to John Hammond about it. I go, what did you see? He's like, man, we just figured middle of the first, you know, we could add a maybe rotation guy that could flame out, or we could take a swing at this thing with our eyes closed. And he added 50 pounds of muscle. And, you know, Van Vliet, um, I think Draymond, this happened with him a little bit. You know, Brogdon. Jokic, I don't think Denver that. expected this out of Jokic or anything close, obviously. No, no. And, and you know what? You can even add Jokic to it at a completely different position. You know, I tend to at times be a bit of an athlete snob about it because if you're going to miss, 
you go, well, I'm going to miss, you know, the, the rule used to be miss big, not small, but there's still an element of, you know, at least let me know a guy can stay in front of somebody or maybe a guy can get by someone or maybe he can jump and maybe his, his wingspan is, is a certain level of wingspan. And all of the guys that we're talking about in that second group, like athletically, when you watched him, you went, ah, man, like, I don't know how this is going to happen. So, I mean, do we start taking guys with bad measurables? Do we start taking guys that don't look as athletic? And maybe is it just about shooting? Like, I'm willing to have an open mind about it, but I'm not sure that I'm there yet with you and that the draft is getting worse and everybody's just doing a bad job. And I'm not saying you're wrong. I just, I would need more years of this. Happening. Yeah, no, for sure. And the anomaly, like the, the, uh, the Toronto Raptors winning a title without a lottery pick was like the start of a story. And then as I dug into the numbers a little bit, it was like, yeah, it's not even with all the information and the, the proliferation of analytics and Intel and just, you know, social media and all the stuff you can learn about a player just by his social media account. It doesn't seem like we're getting super sharp and it's not a knock on scouts it's not a knock on gms it's not a knock on the the athletes themselves but i think we're you know the fact that the number two pick has had you know the second worst returns over the last 10 drafts in the lottery like that's crazy that the number two pick has just not done nearly as well as we 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 thought i mean we could go back to michael k gilchrist or michael beasley but uh it's not as much of a science as you'd like to believe no, the number two thing was a really good point that you brought up because, I mean, it's been it's been like, wait a minute, because you know, I still feel like, and I've looked at teams' charts that have shown me this, and, you know, however you're equating success, I mean, this goes back, I remember the first chart I ever saw was Mike Zarin with the Celtics, who, you know, he wasn't giving me, like, the key code to understand exactly what he was showing me, but he was nice enough to show me, like, the curve of success yeah, yeah, and however you're equating success, whether it's, you know, win shares or whatever metric you want to use, you know, it started at the top and the left and then it just dipped down. It, it wasn't some peaks and valley thing. And, you know, for all the second rounders that we can name, like, I think people like to do this. I think people do like to sit at home and, you know, we're all such huge sports fans, whether we're working in it or just at home, putting so much time into it. And we'd like to think that we could do it. And I think fans do that too. And, in a way, it makes us feel better if we think these guys are idiots that make these decisions. And so we'll, we'll frame the argument around like, oh, you know, nobody saw Ginobili. You know, nobody saw Draymond. And I can always kind of get to the path of why the guy went so late. And it's also convenient to leave out. You know what? 20 of the guys that were drafted in the second round tonight are going to do nothing. 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 And, I mean, you could even argue we didn't even need the second round, okay? I mean, I wouldn't want that to happen because I think it's cool for the kids to get that experience and then it would be a free-for-all with the free agent signing and all that stuff. And then, you know, what are you going to do with some of the teams that completely overrate second rounders? I think it's awesome to have five of them in the same draft. So, yeah, I wouldn't say get rid of the second round, but for every, like, one guy that somebody wants to tell me proves how bad GMs are, I'll point to the other 66% of that, that round that doesn't even, like, do nothing. Can we remake the combine, though, at least? Can we, like, try to bring that into the 21st century? I'm all for it. What do you suggest? Well, I just don't feel like the bench press. I mean, you've you've been in the weight room last week more than I have in my lifetime. So explain to me, like, if you were going to build, like, a a combine for athletes, like, what are some of the things that you would add to it? Because I just don't think the the reliability of, of doing bench presses has anything to do with basketball. No, especially, you know, the big guys and anybody that's ever lifted weights. Like if you're long and tall and you've never lifted, you're at such a massive disadvantage with long arms. I mean, you just, you you have a bench press. You can't, you can't do it. I mean, the Durant thing is all timer and people can make Durant jokes. It doesn't matter. The Nazareed one blew my mind though, because he's such a beast of a player at LSU. 
He's like 250, and he got three reps at 185. Like I, I was like, this has to be wrong. Um, but it doesn't really mean anything. I think the best way to reshape the combine, because the agents are always going to prevent you from it being what you really want it to be, you should just have like a lottery of guys that have to live in a big brother house for a week, and then we just have all-access webcams, and then the GMs can watch that. Because really what we're doing is betting on human behavior more than anything else. Yeah. And then you just be like, oh, wait a minute, that guy steals people's food, or that guy... He, he takes the remote with him when he goes to the bathroom so no one else can change the channel and he gets to keep the channel on his or maybe that means he's so alpha that he's going to be a leader uh, because that's really what this comes down to. It's why the NFL is so bad with quarterbacks. Like I read all these different studies on how the GMs are stupid and how they can make it better, how they should do this and this and this. It's like, you know what? I just don't know that there's any way to really successfully predict a kid dropping back on third and 10 on a Sunday and how he's going to react to all the bullets flying around him. I just, I don't know. You can watch a ton of film. Sometimes you're right. But a lot of times, I mean, it's the first round draft picks. I went back and looked at 20 years of it. I was being nice. And 50% of the first round draft picks were total busts. And that was being nice about it. So is it that the people making the decision are stupid? They're outdated. They're not using the right data. Or is it like, think all your buddies that got married and bet on the wrong girl. They thought they were making the right decision. And of course, in some cases they just knew going down the aisle, this isn't going to work out. But they were like, look, people are already here and we got presents. But I think that's <laughs> the wedding's the dilemma. Full, wedding's a lot of fun. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, you know what I mean? Like that, that to me is, for all the mistakes in the draft, sure, some teams are really bad at this and some teams are very outdated and I'm all for the new information. But there is a fundamental problem in that you don't really know a guy until you have him in there. Which brings me to... Uh, you don't like the wedding analogy? Oh, I, I, I love the wedding analogy. I think I actually love Forgetting Sarah Marshall even better. You did a for, Forgetting Sarah Marshall reference on SVP. That was just fantastic. I don't, know if, I don't know if Scott was all about it, but I was totally all about it. I don't think he knew what was coming. And when, you know, the TV hosts are in charge and they yeah. go, wait a minute, we're supposed to do Kawhi right now. Why are you referencing it? I'm just trying to figure out who Kunu is in your analogy. So if Anthony Davis is Russell Brand, who is No, no, Anthony Davis is Sarah Marshall. Anthony, da- Anthony Davis dumped the Pelicans. Oh, yeah. Anthony Marshall Davis left. Davis. you got to forget Anthony Davis. Yeah. That's right. 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 So Anthony Davis, Russell Brand, the Lakers. Yep. The guy you, you hate, but you, you respect. You, you, you get it. You get it. Like, you're Russell Brand, but I, I effing hate you is whatever. If Jesus my ex started dating Russell Brand, I would not get it. I would not go, oh, I get it. I would, I would, have, a, I would have a real problem with that. If he's listening, <laughs> I said it. So, like, all right, so let's get to, uh, because you want to talk about, uh, you know, getting to know guys. The Washington Wizards just selected a pick that they didn't talk to. They didn't have a one-on-one meeting. uh, And I kind of felt like they got the wrong Gonzaga big. Okay, this is where, I mean, you want to have fun? I knew going into tonight, and, you know, how much do we really know, right? I mean, some teams, there's always surprises. I don't care who you are. There's always going to be stuff that's a bit of a surprise. I'm, I'm going to the Portsmouth tournament when I first started doing this in 2003. I'd like to think I have a sense of what's going on sometimes, but I know there's a ton of stuff I don't know. And then there's times that this could be wrong, you know, like I got lied to or, you know, something didn't happen. So Rui Hachimura is an awesome case study for how wild tonight was going to be. So it felt like, Hey, maybe the first eight to nine names, we know who they are, but I still didn't really know the order after three or four until that trade was pulled off. And then after that, I'd heard Charlotte wanted Rui, and they were afraid they may have to move up, so their intel was right on that. And so then I checked with a couple teams at the back end of the first round. I go, what are you hearing on Rui? 
and two teams in the twenties were like, I don't know if you got to us, we're not taking them. And I'm thinking like, we have almost a 15 slot gap on this kid. And then he still ends up going higher than anybody thought he was going to go. So that's kind of the story of the draft tonight where it was, I knew right after 10 or 11 and Cam Johnson goes 11, like it was going to be wild because the evaluations teams boards were as varied as I can ever remember. Like Bull Bull falling to the middle of the second round and Cam Johnson going 11. Like that's a shocker. I knew Bull Bull was going to be in some trouble. Um, and as I get older and maybe more compassionate, uh, I wasn't getting specific. So, and I'm not a reporter, you know, but I'd heard enough that just teams, you know, whether it's a foot injury at seven, two, which is enough to scare off anybody. Cause he's skilled. He's actually pretty skilled. Yes. And I had somebody from Oregon reaching out to me today going, Hey, what are you hearing on Bobo? Which I knew I was like, Oh, they know he's, their guy's in trouble. And I said, you know, just some of the teams aren't sure about, you know, whether it's a maturity thing or, you know, that kind of stuff. And I don't know. I've never met Bobo. And to see him drop that far, I think you're going to see people hinting at it more and more now that it's happened because yeah, I think there's part of you that would feel bad if you said it about a kid before the draft. And that's something that I ran into years ago and I felt terrible about it. But, um, bowl bowl is actually a talented guy, but either the, the injury or the combination of all these other things scares some people off. I mean, it's kind of the Kevin Porter thing. Like Kevin Porter is more talented than the 29 guys that went in front of him. Well, excuse me, not all 29, but he's talented, more talented than a lot of those guys. But you get kicked off if you're suspended from your team a couple of different times and people are going to look the other way. What am I missing on Brandon Clark? Because the numbers say he's a star. He doesn't have a big wingspan, but it, and he's also, what, 22 now? So I guess he doesn't have the quote-unquote high upside of other players. But, man, he just seems like he has the profile of a star. People completely split on him, too. So as you say, like they may have gotten the wrong guy from Gonzaga – as the end of the year kept going, more people I thought liked Clark more, you know, and, and the old saying goes, you only need one, but you know, Rui had other teams that were going to take him up there at the top. The age thing just scares teams off. Yeah. And he's what a six, eight center with yeah. a bad wingspan, but then he's actually got like one of the best verts of anybody. And then when you watch him, it's a real vertical. Like he is bouncing off the floor mm-hmm. in some of these games. And, you know, I think sometimes we are so, because I kind of feel like Toronto's a great example this time that they had at any point five guys you had to respect their ability to score. Like if you really think about that, that's hard to do. And then the two guys they would bring off off the bench, they didn't even have OG ready to go, man. And I think he's a really big part of what they're going to be doing. Like they always had guys. There was never anybody you could cheat off of. And we're probably too obsessed with ignoring bigs that can't shoot, can't stretch, you know? So if Clark can't do that, it's like, oh, he's one of those. So he's undersized and he can't stretch the floor. Like, what am I supposed to do with him when he's a six eight center? But if you're going to go out there and rebound and you're going to block shots and he's smart and, you know, he just gets it, um, maybe he's in a rotation. But that seemed to be the reason why it scared so many teams off. All right, we'll wrap with this, which we could probably do two hours on this. But uh, let's try to wrap up with the Celtics. What happened to the Celtics, man? It's sad. It's kind of sad. Like, I I don't know what else to say other than uh, when you talk about human behavior and the impact of these guys and knowing these guys, what Kyrie Irving has done to that organization, or at least the the autonomy of him being like, I'm going to make the decision what's best for me in free agency. um, And I'm going to be hard to hard to please, hard to get. And 
it seems like Al Horford might be gone too, and Aaron Aaron Baines gets traded, and I just feel like the whole soul of this team was just ripped out in like two weeks. I honestly think they should have moved on from Kyrie because it was that bad. You know, people around the team, and some guys that have never said anything to me, and I, you know, go to a game, and I didn't. I think I only went to like two this year, but towards the end of the year, I went to one, and guys are like, it's just time. But as you know, you don't want to lose that asset for nothing. So I think the Celtics were still trying to figure out a way to salvage it and make it work. But, you know, this is mimicking. It's not as, you know, it's not a trade demand like it was two years ago, right? But it's it's mimicking some of the same things where, like, once Kyrie shuts it down, like, he shuts it down. Like, Kyrie just operates differently. And I think it is, I just wonder, you know, like, do you think that you're operating on this level of understanding that no one can catch up to? And it's like you're enlightened way in your path and, and you know like I'm not knocking you like if, if you're if you're just seeing the world differently than the rest of us okay you know who am I to tell you you're wrong but if it's that abrasive with all of your teammates all the time then that's a problem like there's still a team as outdated as it may seem in 2019 like being a part of team is giving up some things about yourself to make this thing work it's not like this is golf Ryan, this is team. This is basketball. If yeah. you love playing basketball, you love being part of a team, right? You're supposed to. And, you know, Kendrick Perkins, who we've gotten to work with now, um, you know, I went out and did game four and game six of the finals, and we actually did a Kyrie segment, and I was asking him about it. He said this on the air, so I'm not sharing it. As if it was something he said off the air, because he said it, and he's like, man, he's like, all Kyrie did was complain and cry and whine about LeBron gets to do this, LeBron gets to do that. And then here he is, and he gets to go with his own team. It's the Boston Celtics. Of course, Perk's going to have a little bit more pride because it is Boston, and you know he had a really good run there, and the fans absolutely loved him. And he's like, you get everything you want. You get the keys to it. You're the guy. You're the undisputed dude and all that stuff. And he's like, and now you're just crying about it a year later. You know, like what? You know, sometimes you do have to ask yourself, could it possibly me? Like, I don't think, I think Kyrie is years from ever going, hey, what if it's me? And not everybody else. So, you know, the Horford part of it is simply whatever he thinks he's getting. Whatever he thinks he's getting is more than the Celtics are comfortable paying him. And based on some of the rumors that I've heard of what he thinks he's getting, I don't think the Celtics should resign him. So they make that move with Baines. They open up cap space. And they hope they can probably offer somebody who's a tier two-ish guy, max money, fill that slot, and hope we see the two-year-ago version of, of Tatum and Jalen Brown without Kyrie. I mean, that's the only way they're going to salvage this. But, you know, would you agree? Like, it feels like the East from where we were a year ago to how it finished up in the playoffs this year, like the East got really good overnight. Yeah. And so it's not going to be whatever boss, even if it goes, it's been a mess for them. Let's say Gordon Hayward comes back and like, we never even mentioned him anymore because he was such an afterthought of the injury. But I guess there's a way they could try to salvage this thing, but it's certainly not the plan of all the assets for Anthony Davis. And then he resigns because Kyrie and him get along and, we're going to run the East for a couple of years. It's now it's going to be, can we get to a four seed with uh, scary Terry as the point guard? Or you think they're going to make a run at Kemba? I don't know if, um, you know, the Kemba thing I think is always kind of funny on the Supermax thing where it's like, well, you know, players will say, and Kemba actually didn't say this, right. Kemba even hinted that he would take less, but <laughs> yeah, yeah. you know, this idea that like, if you're not paying me the Supermax, then they all at the AX disrespectful. It's like, well, how about we just pay you a lot more than anybody else can on the four year deal? Is that okay? You know what I mean? Yeah. Can we do that? So I don't know if Ainge would, you know, I don't know if he would try to figure out if D'Angelo Russell, I don't know if he would trade for somebody, you know, trade 
somebody that they're bringing in. I mean, obviously Chris Paul, anybody could take him, but that's thirty-eight million in the first year. So um, I, I know there's one thing that I've learned over the last couple of weeks. Is I'm not a cap expert. I think I have a fundamental understanding of it. But every time you think, oh, okay, this team can only do this, and then they can only do that, and then like 24 hours later, it'll say, you can do this though too, and you're like, okay. <laughs> Like we're just figuring out that the maybe maybe the Warriors can do a delayed sign and trade with Kevin Durant to the Knicks. Like we're just figuring this out. Like two weeks after the finals, that that might be a cap like workaround. I can't even fathom how dumb the cap people think we all are. Um, <laughs> well, I, dude, but, man, like when you when you see the cap people on on Twitter, like they're starting to unravel this too. Like they're peeling away the onions, and they're just like, wait, I think there's a way that this can happen, and. Yeah, but- and that's a great point because I've seen the cap guys totally change course like 24 hours later on something they said. And they'll go, well, actually, like, you know, you're sitting there going, oh, the Lakers can only do this, this, and this. And ever since that AD trade, how many times has that whole thing changed? It's changed like three <laughs> times of what they could do. So I try not to ever say like definitively yes or no, but you just go, hey, you know what seems unlikely is Chris Paul being traded to the Lakers because that doesn't seem to add up. Right. No, I'm with you. I'm with you. It, it, every time I feel like I have a good grasp on a, on a cap situation, someone reaches out and it's like, uh, actually, I think there's like a base year compensation problem with that. And I'm like, oh, well, I mean, sure. I mean, I guess. And with the, with the Lakers deal, it's like, I don't know when they, um, I don't know when they, you know, start to, you know, line up these free agents for, for their four through whatever roster spots. And they're saying, oh, they held on to Kuzma. I'm like, man, I think they would move Kuzma in a second if it meant that they were going to open up some more cap space for a third guy. Like, I really do believe that. And, and that they held on to Kuzma in the talks with New Orleans. I'm not so sure that's the case. I'm not so sure New Orleans actually wanted Kuzma in the first place because of his age and the rebuilding that they're doing. I'm not so sure they wanted Kuz. But the funny thing about that trade, too, is that it was, it was told through such a Lakers slant because, you know, that was the headline of it, right? But yeah. people were really impressed with what Griff was able to do. I really felt like it was a trade where, you know, my first instinct was, hey, you just got Anthony Davis 26 years old. And then you're like, wait a minute, why do you keep having all these pick swaps that are unprotected? Like, <laughs> what's going on here? And I had somebody text me, they're like, no way, the Lakers got fleeced. And I'm like, wait, got fleeced? And I think I still disagreed with the person about it. But, you know, this okay, well, the Pelicans will have to announce this trade 30 days later, and then Anthony Davis will have to waive his $4 million trade kicker. And you go, how does, I don't care who you are. Like, who would just say no to $4 million free dollars? And then you realize, you know, we should have paid more attention to the Pelicans' motivation in this going, hey, maybe we don't want to wait all that time because we want to trade your fourth pick for something else that we're doing, and we want to get things moving, and we don't want to dig into our cap space, which is what would have happened on that deal. There's no um, way that Palinka knew all the ramifications of that deal. There's no way. There's no way that he knew all the ramifications. But why isn't there cap- somebody, if he didn't, how is there not somebody saying, hey, you know what, like we, if, by the way, like, hey, if we're going to keep adding unprotected swap scenarios, they have to do this deal on our terms. They have to wait. Like, forget the Anthony Davis thing, because first of all, the Pelicans pay that money, but it goes on the Lakers cap. But I think in a weird way, like people that make the joke about like, LeBron will find a way for him to not have the trade kicker. And it's like, yeah, but I don't think LeBron and all the clutch stuff that they freak out about that connection, I don't think they're going to want to be perceived as telling their own client to give up for them. Right? It's a horrible look. But yeah. if you're going to add all of these things when it felt like the Knicks weren't really in it and the Celtics couldn't have been in it, 
Um, I think there was a, a modest offer from Boston, but an offer they knew that would lose out. I don't know why they wouldn't have done everything they could to maximize all the different cap scenarios. So either Poinka didn't know or he didn't care or somebody close to Poinka wasn't able to convince him. Like, how could there not be one person on the staff? So I'm still not sure what I believe with that one because I know the reporting's been that he didn't understand it, but it's just hard for me to imagine it. Man, what an NBA. I mean, this is nuts. Like, we're sitting here, um, it's 2 in the morning, and we just watched the NBA draft, and it feels like we don't know much more about the like, – like, like, the dust hasn't settled at all because free agency is going to be nuts. I mean, we just had the Raptors just celebrated a title, and the, the most intel we can get about Kawhi Leonard and what he's going to do is that a bunch of – People tweeted out today that Kawhi was moving, was buying moving boxes at Home Depot. Did you see this? What if he just has a ton of winter clothes that he knows he's not going to use? What if he has just a bunch of baseball cards that he has to just like throw? Like I have, I have pot, I have boxes and boxes of baseball cards back home that are just in moving boxes. Like maybe that's it. Yeah, I have the same deal. I get a bunch of comic books in my junior high phase and my father's like so what's the plan with these you're 40 right and i kind of feel like my dad has a bunch of like mickey mantle cards that he just keeps in his in his like hidden away in his safe and i'm like that's what my like tim Naring baseball card is going to be like like that's that's what that's going to be worth Rosillo, thanks so much for uh for joining me on the pod let's talk soon once the free agency dust settles and uh tell everybody where they can find your work these days yeah, I'm doing um, the ESPN Rosillo pod that we've been doing um, since the radio show. It's been really, really great. And then we just launched our SCP and Rosillo feed uh, that we're doing. Scott and I, you know, we're trying to see how it goes. We're doing a few over the course of the summer. And then everybody really seems to enjoy the, the weekly stuff with Bill Simmons on the ringer. I'm sure people have heard him. And it's been uh, it's been a really fun year, man. I mean, a lot of things have changed for me. So, And I actually appreciate you having me on because I thought at some point, you would have had to have gotten really pissed at me for disagreeing with some of the rest arguments that there's in. So I know <laughs> oh, I just like the Neanderthal. But, um, you know, I'm a big fan, man. And I always thought you were one of the coolest guys that I've hung out with right. uh, over the years of the hoop stuff on ESPN. So I'm, I'm actually was like, oh, Tom called me. Like, I feel like I owed it to you because I've, I've probably taken some cheap shots about the rest stuff over the years. So I apologize. No, nah, man. All, all good, man. You're one of the best. So I appreciate it. And uh, we'll do this again soon. Uh, rest up, man. We got a big free agency coming up. All right, man. Sounds good. Love that guy. All right. Thanks to Ryan for coming on the show. Again, if you haven't listened to the Henry Abbott episode, go check that out. We go deep on the Lakers stuff, which is still evergreen. The free agency bonanza is upon us. We're going to go dark for the next week on the Haber Show podcast, but hopefully we'll get another episode here to kick off free agency and give you a little preview of what's to come. So again, thanks to Ryan Rosillo. Go catch all of his stuff wherever you get your podcasts. And uh, we'll talk soon. Don't forget to subscribe, rate, and review the Haber Show podcast. Until next time.